the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. It's not often that you can start a show about vascular health with a line from William Shakespeare, but here it goes. William Shakespeare said, eyes are the windows to the soul. But there's so much more than that, it turns out. Eyes are the windows to vascular health. Your eyes are windows to the live action of blood vessels, nerves, connective tissues throughout your entire body. Problems spotted in the eye are often the first signs of disease lurking elsewhere throughout your body. Dr. Harvey Fishman is here to talk about traditional and innovative diagnostics that can give you not only insight into your eye health, but also your vascular health with indicators that show diabetes, high blood pressure, even blocked arteries. Dr. Harvey Fishman is an ophthalmologist who's always on the cutting edge of what's new and what's next in eye care. A former chief resident in ophthalmology at Stanford University, Department of Ophthalmology, he is now medical director of Fishman Vision, while always continuing to pursue multiple entrepreneurial ventures. And I can't wait to get this started. But first, a big hello to Dr. Phillips. Hello, hello, hello. Kimberly, how are you? Uh, it, It feels like it's been a while since we've spoke because <laughs> uh, you know it's a week know, right? it just seems like forever and um i also have to say too that intro i think was maybe your best yet you were super animated the inflections were great um obviously did a lot of research too so it was i'm gonna let you take over the show and 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 run with this thing I'm excited about this one because I've known Dr. Fishman for a long time but it looks like you're in the in the cath lab today I'm in my office, actually, so just right across from me is, is our cath lab. So, yeah, I'm on call and you know, rounding and, and just kind of waiting for whatever the cat brings in, so to speak. So uh, if I have to duck out, uh, I know I know we're in good hands with you. So hopefully nothing happens. But, again, you never know what you're going to get. But it's good to know that you're right there on the front lines, ready to rock it and save more lives and limbs. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean – our our hospital is is not full but we've talked about this many times we have so many holes in staffing that we just you know there yeah. are beds available but there aren't people to to take care of the patients and so uh, I we took care of a lady this morning who had been at one of our other hospitals for 
36 hours with, with chest pain and it was stable and whatnot, but it took that long for her to get here um, wow. for a number of reasons. And, and she did fine, but it just, it, it just reminds me of kind of the precarious nature that we're in as it pertains to inpatient healthcare and in 2023. So we'll see. It's interesting. Just we're we're literally the emergency for COVID. Supposedly, it's it's kind of coming to an end. But our our emergency rooms across the country are still pretty. You know, the bursting at the seams. There aren't as many beds to admit. Patients are waiting to be admitted. Sometimes we had a patient last week who waited twelve hours to get admitted overnight. Um, you know, finally to get on a heparin drip um, for a critical issue. Um, we were in the emergency room twice this week, once for my dad, um, because he was having some shortness of breath. And then for me, um, I was having some chest pain, but it turns out it was more from my asthma. Um, okay. as my asthma has been just literally on high alert lately. So they had to get me on a nebulizer and this and that. But it was interesting while I was there, they did an echocardiogram. They found had an interesting finding this week, which was a little concerning. So, you know, my mom transitioned, unfortunately, this year, unexpectedly because of an aneurysm. My younger brother has a couple of aneurysms that they found for him, as well as a bicuspid valve defect in his heart. Well, they are concerned because my aortic root measures on the top of normal in size for my frame. And so they're pushing me through to some cardiac geneticists mm-hmm. over yeah. at the University of California, San Francisco, because they're wondering if with my family, with my mom, my younger brother and, and myself, that we might have some sort of connective tissue disorder. So now guess what? I'm going to be on watch for the rest of my life for, for um, potential aneurysm. So, yeah, I mean, um, there's a, there's a lot, I think. So today's topic, obviously we're talking about the eyes and, and kind of innovations around the eyes as it pertains to vascular disease, but the aortopathy. So folks that have um, some changes in their aorta, you know, the largest vessel that comes off the heart, very common. Um, I think we're, we're having, and I don't, I don't send folks for a lot of genetic testing. We do see patients that have aortic um, dilatations and things of that nature, but that's a, that's a part of medicine as it pertains to aneurysms that I think is going to be really intriguing as the years progress, finding people who are at risk um, for developing aneurysms. And in fact, last week I was talking with a company who has some technology uh, and it's very, very early stage, but they think that they have a chemical that they might be able to inflate or so impregnate the the wall of the aorta with a balloon that may um, retard the growth of the aneurysm. So hopefully, because aneurysms are are a big deal and obviously can be very catastrophic. And so you will need some serial imaging. And, you know, usually what happens is we we get some testing and then we figure out that it's stable and then we can kind of, you know, change the cadence and extend it out um, over years as opposed to, you know, every year, every other year, every three years, et cetera, for surveillance. So you're in good hands. Don't worry. I think so. don't, don't sweat this. And one of the biggest risks is, of course, as well, high blood pressure. And mm-hmm. it's not something I have, but something I will have to watch down the road because that could exacerbate it. And that's something that through an ophthalmologist, they can get a little indicator on that. So we'll, Pause right there. We'll start there after your moment of inspiration. All right. Dr. John Phillips, spectacular vascular moment of inspiration. 
Well, Kim, of course I had to pivot away from the the William Shakespeare quote, because that's what everybody thinks about when you talk about the eyes and that's very poetic and beautiful. And, and this is a derivation on something that I think we all are, are, are we've heard. And this is from uh, Henry uh, Bergson, who is a French philosopher. And uh, he's quoted as saying, the eyes only see what the mind is prepared to comprehend. Um, and so, you know, I, I like to think about that because we miss a lot of stuff visually because we're not necessarily thinking about it mentally. Um, and with that said, I'm really excited to hear Dr. Fishman and his story of, of entrepreneurship and, and developing various technologies to help people see better and, and uh, kind of gaze into, you know, the eyes. I'm not an ophthalmologist, obviously, but they say the, you know, it's a neural, it's a neural structure, right? And so it's when you look into someone's eyes, you're looking into their brain technically, right? <laughs> so this would be interesting. <clears throat> That's right, Dr. Fishman, huh? So am I um, able to start commenting on some of these great conversations? Please, please. Of please. course. You know, it's, <laughs> it's great that you that you brought this up about the aortic um, uh, issues, because it turns out that there's, I mean, this. it turns out that there are very uh, subtle f- structural things that we can see in the eye, which can actually alert us to an aortic aneurysm. Uh, Wait, what? What's that? Yeah. You're kidding. No, so one of the things that's interesting is that, so one of the things that there, some people have this condition called Marfan's disease, and Marfan's disease is associated with aortic aneurysms, I, I presume, and and one of the things that's interesting is that with Marfan's, it can be sort of subtle, or it can be really, you know, um, very obvious, and one of the things that we can see in the eye is the, the lens in your eye can actually be loose, and it can be a very subtle looseness of the lens. So the lens can sort of jiggle. Now, to kind of give people the anatomy, the lens in your in the eye is held by these little fibers, these little collagen fibers called zonules. And these little fibers uh, are sort of loose in people with Marfan's. And the eye, the lens actually can sort of dip down a little bit. And, and when you see that as an ophthalmologist, like so you could have somebody come into your office, you'd never even know they had Marfan's. They might have like a very subclinical or a very subtle Marfan's, but they can have problems with their with their aortic um, structures. And so as, a ophthalm, as an ophthalmologist, you can see that and then you can basically save somebody's life just by looking at not even and you don't even have to even dilate their eye. You could just look in the slit lamp, our little thing and see that. So it's really amazing you know, just to, like what you were saying is, is what you can what you can see. And the other thing that's really fascinating, and you guys might find this interesting, is there um, when you look at the iris, you know, like a long time ago, they used to talk about iridology, which was like the study, like people would look at the iris and they would make all these diagnoses. It was kind of an interesting field a long time ago. But but, you know, in some respects, ophthalmologists were always looking at the iris and they're so just the iris structure. By the way, the iris is the pupil. You know, that's the thing that's the, 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 the aperture that lets light in and out of the eye. What's incredible is the iris, just the iris itself can show so many vascular diseases, just the iris, not even looking at the back of the eye. The iris actually, there is this really interesting little anatomy and they're called um, iris flocculi. Okay. And these are these tiny little things on like little tiny uh, brown spots on the inner part of the pupil. And it, and you'll like this, it can actually show something called familial TAD or thoracic aortic aneurysm and dissection. So somebody has a little tiny brown dot called, you know, a little, 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 they look like little 
they look pretty actually they're gorgeous but they're they're, they're these um, you know they're basically these little tiny brown pouches on the iris they look very benign it doesn't cause any problem with the eye if you see that they're at risk for this tad disease isn't that crazy so I mean, two right off the top of my head right off the top you know not, you know just you can automatically see those are two really interesting diagnoses that you can make just by looking at the iris not even looking at the you know not even going in the back of the eye well, you know, we're going to head to the back of the eye coming up right after our break. So stay with us right here on the Heart of Innovation. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Iris flocculi, iris flocculi. Oh, sorry, you know, I was just uh, <laughs> trying to remember that word, and uh, we're back in life. Um, so... Uh, Dr. Fishman, let's continue that where we left off. Um, yes. Obviously, we were, you were kind of hitting on some esoteric things, but they do have some correlation with some vascular ailments. Uh, and then during the break, I was curious, like, do most ophthalmologists think this way or do you have to have a special interest into it? Or um, do you have to use, I mean, do you, do you know these things because of the... Um, um, AI that you're working on, some of these other kind of, um, you know, cutting edge technologies. So just uh, share that with us, if you don't mind. I mean, that was real esoteric. It's pretty uncommon. Um, but I mean, most ophthalmologists, I mean, you know, we, ophthalmologists in general are, you know, pretty smart, nerdy, really smart, you know, students in their top of their class. And, and they're real, and they, you know, they know this stuff. At one point, I would say every ophthalmologist probably knew it because of our board exams. And then as time goes on, you kind of have different interests. So if you're a retina specialist, you might not be interested in that. Or if you're a pediatric ophthalmologist, you know, it depends. Um, and so different people have different interests across the board. Um, and, you know, it just depends on what your, your fascination is. Um, some people get really interested in the anatomy and can find these things, but you're not walking in every single day seeing iris flocculi and making that diagnosis. But, you know, it's something to keep in the back of your mind. And, and ophthalmologists, you know, really should you know, we're always sort of thinking these things. And the goal would be kind of just if you see something, you know, get curious, look it up and say, oh, yeah, that's something I need to deal with. But is that something that in a standard exam, when you go to the ophthalmologist, that they see it, it may not register or they may not acknowledge it because it's not part of the standard of care? 
or I mean, I would say, you know, everything is is free game is fair, fair game on the standard of care. But but, you know, it is it would be like, you know, especially if you're in a really, really busy clinic and you're seeing a ton of patients, you know, and you see a little iris flocculi, you you know, or, you know, it may not be iris flocculi. You may not, you know, recognize it or you're just going really fast. You're trying to figure out the big stuff. You know, when when you're when you're seeing patients, you really want to make sure that they don't have glaucoma. They don't have macular degeneration. They don't have cataracts or inflammation or infection. So those are the things, you know, and you want to p- pick up the big stuff, obviously, that, you know, is really common. But then the small stuff is you know can be very subtle and very very hard sometimes it's it's very hard to you know to um uh to see uh you know and sometimes it's really obvious sometimes it isn't but you know i mean that's how medicine is medicine is definitely not a perfect field and um but you know i think if you if you have a lot of time you might pick these things up and i think as people go faster and faster you know you're just not seeing that stuff so tell us a little bit we'll shift gears here i think tell us a little bit about your interests in it sounds like artificial intelligence or kind of software or maybe some hardware to in, improve people's sight or um you, you know i think before we started the show we were talking about the google glasses and, and some of these yeah. some of these things so what sparked your interest how you, how you got how did you get rolling in that and like where are you now it's interesting, you know, I started off in the world as a physical chemist at Stanford. So I did my analytical physical chemistry. So I actually started off as a, you know, scientist, as a hardcore, you know, scientist. And then um, when I got into medicine, it's, you know, it's hard to turn off the physical chemistry, analytical chemistry designer, you know, brain. And then I got into, I did some research actually in, in uh, neuroscience and then, um, actually, I was at, for a while, I was running a ophthalmic tissue engineering lab at Stanford. So I've always been really interested in those sort of technical innovations and so forth. And then sort of early and late in early 2000, well, late 2000, early, well, 2000, 2008, 2009, I got very interested in, um, video glasses for macular degeneration. I should also point out that when I was at Stanford, um, I helped, Work, we worked on a retinal chip, like an actual microchip that would actually be implanted into the retina that's connected to glasses. So that for blind people. So actually, that's sort of what got me started. I actually helped co-found the Stanford Ophthalmic Retinal Prosthesis Project. And so we can actually uh, people all around the world actually uh, are getting implants in their eyes for low vision. Um, and they can basically, um, and some of these glasses, some of these chips are actually connected to video glasses. In fact, some of the work that we did is now actually being, um, uh, there's a there's a company in France called Pixium, which is actually now implanting this in humans. So some of the work I did was involved in that low vision kind of microchip in the eye thing. Wait, how do you, um, how do you put a microchip in someone's eye? Carefully. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's part of very complex venture retinal surgery. Um, You know, you go into the eye and you 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 know go. It's very yeah. It's it's very it's under obviously under microscope. It's very delicate surgery. The best retina specialists in the world do it. I'm not one of those uh, retina specialists. You can flip it into the eye and then you can hook wires. And so it's really an interesting field. I mean, that kind of got me very interested in. Uh, video because I said, well, if, you know, if you're if why don't we work with video glasses as opposed to doing an implant in the eye, uh, just you know, like large screen. And I, I was actually at a CES conference. Believe I went to CES and actually saw this heads up display by Musix, and I, I introduced myself to the CEO and I said, hey, we should do this for low vision, and that's what got me very interested in that. 
Um, and that's then, actually where you and I met, and we're going to continue that story, maybe even share a little bit of that story and how you helped my grandmother next, right here on The Heart of Innovation. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are talking about how the eyes are the windows to your vascular health with Dr. Harvey Fishman. With Fishman Vision out of Palo Alto, California, the heart of Silicon Valley. So you wouldn't expect anything less than lots of innovative prowess from Dr. Fishman. I met Dr. Fishman, I think it was back in 2008, 2009, when he was working on that low vision technology. And I did a story on you. Dr. Fishman for Forbes magazine. And we included my grandmother who had macular degeneration and she had very little sight and your technology helped her see again. And it was almost, it was just a miracle. Yeah, that was really a very wonderful time to get to meet your grandmother and to, and to work on that technology. And I, yeah, it was just really beautiful time uh, that we got to you know spend together. And that was really, and that technology is really neat. Um, and still actually in the process, not, not what I'm doing personally, but there's aspects of that is, is being used all the time, you know, really being pr- promoted by a lot of new companies now. So what are you working on today? That This is what, you know, um, quite a few years later. And yeah. what's your interest today? You know, I've one of the things, obviously, technology and medical devices for ophthalmology has been very interesting. And um, I'm not at liberty to talk about some of the clinical trials I'm doing because it's all top secret. Triple well, that's, no fun. that's no fun. But there's some really neat um, clinical top clinical studies that I'm doing. I had three or four uh, clinical studies that we're working on. Some of them were for dry to a couple of them for dry eye disease, new devices for dry eye. Um, one of the things I'm fascinated by, because my background is in, in detection, and we were working on this really, really neat uh, topic where you could, t- this is cool, you can touch somebody's eye with a micro piece of tape, sterile tape, 
You can pull off the mRNA off the surface of their eye. You can then use a, a gene array chip and you can determine you can pick up cancers, inflammatory disease and so forth. So that's kind of the exciting thing that I've been working on. Right. And we just finished a, a, a four or five or six year study. And we basically are showing that you can actually that you can with a very tiny little piece of tape detect all of these infectious and potentially cancers on the eye without biopsy. Because like if you see somebody who's like a melanoma, I know we're getting off the topic of, of vascular disease, but you know, if you see somebody with a big honking brown spot on their eye or even a tiny one, you know, is it a freckle? Is it a melanoma? Is it a whatever? It, you know, and so the, you know, if you have a skin issue. People, you know, you go to dermatologists, you're like, you know, big deal. Remove this from my forearm. I don't care. You go to the ophthalmologist and the guy says, the person says, hey, I want to remove something from your eye. I want to biopsy your eyeball. So that's, that's scary. That's a pause. That gives people pause. And so uh, what we're trying to do is come up with a genetic way to pull off the genetics of, let's say, a little melanoma or something uh, on the eye and then give us, you know, so we can know one way or another where we should need to biopsy it. Because what we do now is we just watch it grow, and that's no good. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that you can put a microchip. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, when I go to the eye doctor and my eyes are dilated, it's like eight hours before I can see normally again. Can't you guys fix that for us? You know, it's funny because a long time ago we used to – so, you know, we used to use pilocarpine-type molecules, yes. right, to actually make the, to, to make the eyes get smaller, so there was, it used to be called like, a, there was used to be drops. You would put like reversal drops. We don't use them anymore because reversal drops can actually cause retinal detachment. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> so, so, you know, so we, we stopped doing that. And actually, interestingly enough, there's, there's a, I hate to say this, but there's a new drop on the market called Beauty, which makes your pupil smaller. And that also can cause retinal detachments. So any case, that's, we're, <laughs> we're really going off, we're going off topic here, but yeah, it, the, the, there's a lot of cool things that, that the eyes can, can, can be, um, can, can, can detect in the body systemically. It's, it's actually like, or hundreds of different diseases. Can I ask, ask you this to get yeah. back on the topic with the, the folks that are a lot of people that are listening to this podcast and radio show have uh, arterial issues and blockages yeah. and things of that nature. So when you see a patient that has risk factors for the this disease like diabetes mm -hmm. or um, you know high cholesterol, I mean, are you obviously you might be looking for other things in addition to what the normal exam is, but, but can you walk us through the exam process um, as it pertains to somebody who might be at increased risk for um, arterial uh, issues? Right. That's, I mean, great question. And I think majority of all ophthalmologists and optometrists actually do look for those things. And, you know, going from the front to the back of the eye, you know, you can see, uh, as I said, uh, you, know, you can see actually a lot of vascular, cardi you know, cardiovascular diabetic changes in the iris. So you can see new blood vessels growing into the iris in some severe cases of diabetic retinopathy um, and other conditions. And, um, and is that a function of poor blood sugar control. Correct. That's and right. Damage. Okay. So, the, so like just looking at the front of the iris, you, you know, we just looking again at the pupil, I'm kind of obsessed with the iris, but looking at the iris, you can see uh, signs of vascular disease. Um, you can see signs of diabetes. Interestingly enough, um, there's this, uh, there's a condition called ocular ischemic syndrome, which is actually disease because not enough blood flow through the carotid 
um, and the arteries are getting to the eye and the eyes, the whole eyeball is deprived of oxygen because there's low blood. And then we actually, again, see like neovascularization, which is, of course, new blood vessels that grow into the iris. And we can see that. And then, of course, moving back, you know, then you can see uh, signs of uh, cardiovascular disease really obviously in the retina. We'll see little hemorrhages, which are like no brainers. We can see little blot hemorrhages, little dot hemorrhages. We can see um, areas of, you know, like where the nerves are being um, basically cut off of blood supply. And we see little white, uh, we see like little white things in the eye called cotton wool spots. So you can see these inflammatory, you can see these like areas of ischemia where there's not a lot of blood. The optic nerve can actually start growing new blood vessels, believe it or not, new blood vessels from the optic nerve. And these neovascular blood vessels of the optic nerve can be signs of, of the, you know, either carotid disease or diabetes or uh, high blood pressure. Um, again, high blood pressure can, sh- we, you know, you can see evidence of high blood pressure because the vessels are really tiny. They're attenuated or you can see well, you remember, like when we were residents, we yeah. carried the fundoscope around, and I'd pretend to look in. I couldn't see what I, I'm like. I don't know what I'm looking at here, but at least like I'm I'm pretending to to look here. Yeah, that's actually really funny because, like, you know, obviously, if you're not dilating the eye and you don't have a really good look, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to see the subtle signs, and even when you dilated eyes, sometimes you can't see it. Which yeah. which brings me to a very fascinating point. I don't know if you want, but basically. Ophthalmology is really leading, really the leaders, and I understand maybe more machine learning and artificial intelligence of looking at images and machine learning training algorithms to look at images and then to pick up diseases from the images. Ophthalmology is crazy in this field. If you go to our conferences, it's like half the half the talks are about AI. You go to our biggest journal, Ophthalmology, uh, everything is AI, looking at disease progression. And so what's fascinating is like right now, we just, you know, to, to go back to your point, which is that, you know, what are we doing in an exam? Well, we look in there, we see a little blood, we see, we'll see some blood vessels that might be either new blood vessels, or we'll see some of the blood vessels attenuated, meaning they're, 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 they're small, or we'll see, we can see atherosclerosis because we'll like copper wiring, which is another term for basically you know, atherosclerosis or, or attenuated blood vessels. But, but you know, we're okay at that. You know, I think we're okay. We you know, kind of a gestalt, oh, it's small, it's bloody, blah, blah. But like with the new uh, imaging, where we can actually build up the hundreds and millions of different images and then correlate that to specific cholesterol levels or blood. I mean, so eventually the future of, you know, of medicine in many respects is going to be a dilated eye exam. That's going to be amazing. So we're going to have more. We're going to stop you there. We're going to take a break and we're going to let you finish your thought when we return right here on the Heart of Innovation. So stay with us. So you've been diagnosed with peripheral arterial disease and are wondering if you may have blockages in other parts of your body. Hi, I'm Dr. John Phillips, interventional cardiologist with this week's Medical Notepad, brought to you by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated Campaign Advocacy, Take a Stand Against Amputation, and The Way to My Heart. People who are diagnosed with peripheral arterial disease, or PAD, often have blockages in the legs that restrict blood flow, causing symptoms. These folks can often have blockages in other parts of the body, including the heart and arteries in the neck that could potentially lead to 
a stroke. Patients that have plaque disease or buildup of debris within the arteries in the heart can also suffer a myocardial infarction or heart attack. So it's often when we see somebody who has peripheral arterial disease that we treat them or at least look for coronary artery disease. Risk factors for coronary artery disease include diabetes, hypertension, tobacco abuse, high cholesterol, and obesity. When we're trying to evaluate someone for coronary artery disease, we often order tests like an EKG, an ultrasound of the chest, or an echocardiogram. Stress testing can also be done to look for compromised blood flow to particular regions of the heart. And then finally, in certain situations, we order a calcium screening test because sometimes calcium can predict blockages within the heart. The bottom line, if you have been diagnosed with peripheral arterial disease, ask your healthcare provider to evaluate you for coronary artery disease and cerebrovascular disease to prevent heart attack and stroke. With this week's medical notepad, I'm cardiac and vascular interventionalist, Dr. John Phillips. Remember, the advice and views offered are for educational purposes only. Always check with your own healthcare team for explicit consent to act upon any information offered here. If you want more information about peripheral arterial disease, go to takeastandagainstamputation.com and for real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. We are having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Fishman, ophthalmologist who has, I think, a keen interest in uh, artificial intelligence as it pertains pertains to the eye. And we were uh, just, I think we're just going to continue on from where we left off. So, Harvey, when you talk about artificial intelligence, I mean, a lot of people think of the Terminator. They think of chat GPT or (laughs) what what, what are we talking about here? Like 30,000 foot view. Yeah, I mean, AI, you know, has been around for a long time. Uh, and this is not anything new. The, the computing power is better now, so we can do it. Well, what you're looking at, basically, it's 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 quite a uh, in, in really neat concept. It, if there's an image that you can see, um, you can take that image and you can um, then use an uh, basically an image algorithm program that takes that image and says, okay, you see image one. And then you say, this is an image of a patient who has diabetic retinopathy. And then you tell the program, you know, and then we show another image. So you, you, you might take 100,000 or a million images of the retina. And each one of those images says, tells the algorithm, whatever little fine details in the image. Now, this is all the black box part of the computer, but the image will be looked at. It'll be analyzed by whatever subtle features, you know, that humans maybe have no clue. We we can't see anything uh, that would be unusual, but the computer can see little nuances. The imaging 
detection of a computer. So it sees little imaging nuances and so forth. And then you can train the program to look at any image, whether it's blood, you know, whether it's diabetic or not. And the, the, the computer program can then say, this is an image of a diabetic patient. This is an image of a person with high cholesterol. So it's all about training the algorithm. So it, you know, and, and so if you put good information into the algorithm, you're going to get some really good things. So there is a new camera. Um, there's, I think there's one, maybe in my understanding, there's at least one FDA for federal, uh, FDA approved device, which takes a picture of the back of the eye and totally using this AI imaging analysis software can determine whether you have diabetic retinopathy or not. And this would be something you don't even need to be an ophthalmologist. You could be at a mall, for instance, you could be a kiosk at Costco or something. And then you could basically have this thing take your picture and then it would then, you know, in conjunction with a physician who would then say, yeah, this might be uh, diabetes in the eye. You can also find macular. So all of these different diseases of the eye, cardiovascular health and so forth can be potentially picked up using AI um, analysis of images. Cause we ophthalmologists, ophthalmologists, we are all about images. I mean, that is the lot of what we look at and every image can be a photograph and every photograph can then be plugged into a computer algorithm, a computer program. And we actually, I have a paper, uh, believe it or not, um, where we looked at, um, we used uh, an AI uh, algorithm to essentially look at bottles, like uh, look at uh, eyedrop bottles and differentiate bottles so that like if you had low vision, like how do low vision people take eye drops? Right. So we, we actually have a p- couple papers uh, where I was one of the co-authors on. We did the research in my office where we basically took pictures of different like glaucoma drop bottles. And, you know, it, the AI can can alert uh, a low vision patient. Oh, no, no, you're not supposed to use this one. Use the other one. Wow. It's a little bit like it's actually very funny because there used to be this show called Silicon Valley. And there's this one funny scene, which is yes. hot dog, not hot dog, not hot dog. And, um, and we were we always make a joke, you know, glaucoma <laughs> bottle, not glaucoma bottle. So it's a very great scene in Silicon Valley. That's one of my favorite shows. But but it's really true. I mean, you you can do so much with AI. And eventually, as I kind of like the future of medicine really could be you get it, you go and get a dilated exam. Um, you take those images and then you look for, you know, 230 different diseases in the body. And when one of those things pops up, you it goes to your internist, your primary doctor, your family, and, and that person then can investigate. The other thing that's fascinating about ai is that you know you can actually eventually you'll be my my uh, prediction and i think you can you can actually start seeing levels of hypertension based on just the images so you can actually quantitate hypertension based on images you can say this person probably has a blood pressure of 160 over 90 whatever so you can actually start quantitating and will be very fascinating is because you know we just take guesses i mean i'm not a you know cardiologist but you know you know do you is this low enough is this high enough you know where are we supposed to be blood pressure wise with this imaging and AI technology, you might be able to guide the cardiologist or internist much more precisely. Like, oh, you are over-treating this patient. This person's hypotensive, which, by the way, for the eye is not as, is also bad. Um, we don't we get into a lot of that. But, you know, it might be too low or it might be too high or it might be perfect. So that way you don't over-medicate people. So I think that that's going to be a very fascinating area uh, of AI in the future and images and, and ophthalmology. And also Do you envision any of this like direct to consumer or would it always be some type of healthcare provider? Yeah. Because you also mentioned potential kiosks in a mall. I mean, that yeah. could be 
I mean, you know, like the question is, you know, you can get your blood pressure at uh, CVS, right? You put your, you know, so will this eventually be something like that? Who knows? It could be, Um, you know, it's going to need FDA approval and blah, blah, blah. You know, Um, we'll see what the FDA and, 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 and the, you know, the, 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 the world of, of, you know, looking at whether this makes sense from a, from a epidemiologic standpoint, but it could be, but it certainly is going to be something that would be at, it could just be, you go to your GP, and in the guidance of a you know a, of a GP office, they would they would take an image of your eye. They would get a, a readout of the different possible diagnoses. Certainly, like all eye diseases could be really obvious eye diseases like glaucoma, macular degeneration, cataracts. Those things can could be easily detected and then referred off. But then, as I said, you could look at things like diabetic retinopathy, high blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, all of these things, aortic aneurysm risk, you know, um, really weird genetic diseases. I mean, the, the list goes on, inflammatory diseases. I mean, it's, it's just the number of things you can see in the eye that then leads you to diagnoses in the body is just phenomenal. Uh, another one, just so, just so you know, is the gut. I mean, do we want to get into the gut? You can see so much about gut disorder in the eye. For instance, cold, you know, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. I mean, yeah, it's just remarkable. And so with all of this, I'm wondering, how do you find an ophthalmologist? What questions should you ask your ophthalmologist or in determining if an ophthalmologist is on the cutting edge? We'll find out from Dr. Fishman coming up right here on The Heart of Innovation. So stay with us. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Okay, we have so much to cover and so little time. This is our last, you know, leg here. Dr. Harvey Fishman with us, ophthalmologist in Silicon Valley. Your eyes, the windows to your vascular health, cholesterol. How can you tell if someone has high cholesterol based on the eyes? So it's the, the cholesterol level, you, you know, you can see effects of high cholesterol in the sense that you can see little emboli. So, for instance, one of the things is it's just like a, you can see evidence of a stroke in the eye because the cholesterol in the plaque the plaques and the arteries actually can break off and then go into the blood vessels. And you can actually see these little emboli, which can be a sign, you know, can be a part of the whole high cholesterol story. Um, now, and that's really amazing because if you see a tiny little emboli in the eye, that's an, that's a stroke. It, it's a stroke. It's just, and then that person goes right to the stroke clinic. So the, it's do not pass go, do not collect $200. You go right to the stroke clinic. If you see an emboli, it's not like, Oh, let's have them go to the primary doctor in a couple of days. So you can save somebody's like that guy had a, you know, you can save somebody's life if you see a tiny little emboli, because then they go in, they may have to have a carotid endarterectomy immediately and so forth. So that's fascinating. Another thing that's really interesting, not like an emergency, but there is this thing called Arcus senilis, which is this tiny little yellow uh, um, ring around the uh, around the limbus, around the outer part of the pupil. Um, and some people and that's actually made of cholesterol. And so if you have carotid disease, you can actually see in one eye, you can see arcus senilis. So if you see a patient with arcus senilis in one eye and no arcus senilis in the other eye, 
that could mean that they have carotid disease and they're just not getting. So that's another interesting because there's not enough blood supply in the carotid area going to the eye. So that's a really, really neat diagnosis that you can make just by looking at that. So then. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Kim. Nope, go ahead. I I just want to get to questions to find a doctor. Oh, so I just wanted to touch on because we were hitting the carotid disease and, and a lot of our folks have PAD. The, the phenomenon of amaurosis fugax, so you have yes. a curtain drawn over the eye, that's, that's a serious, like you have that, you need to talk to your healthcare provider. What is the um, uh, pathology behind that? Yeah, it's a tiny little fleck of cholesterol, a little fleck of lipid that goes into the blood vessel, cuts off the blood vessel. The blood vessel, this is the artery, a tiny little blood vessel in the eye, uh, artery in the, in the retina. And then that area just no longer has vision. So you'll see, you can sometimes see shiny lights and flickering lights, or you can some, sometimes it's just like a black light. And sometimes in case, like what you said, MRS is Fugats. Fugats, that, that's actually a big, can be a big visual field defect. So that's a, you know, if you have a visual field defect, any kind of low vision, you know, ASAP, talk to your ophthalmologist, eye doctor, somebody, that's not something to mess around with. And it can, okay. it can be very benign sometimes, but not always. We have less than 30 seconds left. How do you get an ophthalmologist who's on the cutting edge? Are there a couple of questions that you can ask to determine if this person is the right one for you? You know, I'm very, I'm very excited about my field. I think where all my colleagues are amazing. And so I, I, I you know, I think I, I'm so impressed by the field, by my ophthalmology colleagues. I think most ophthalmologists are amazing. So I think if you see a good ophthalmologist, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's hard to find a great ophthalmologist. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Harvey Fishman. Everyone have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real time support, and high touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.